right, a special episode, bonus episode of Three In. We still got uh, Sergio here. We still got uh, Mark here, and I'm still here. And um, so Sergio and uh, Mark have been like ships passing in the night. They just never quite get a chance to get together. Sergio's been dying to ask Mark a ton of questions about his time in the WWE and you know, whatever else he may have, uh, you know, in mind. So without any further ado, I won't waste any more of your time. Sergio, uh, get to asking your Mark ass questions to Mark. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm, I'm a sucker for details. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious about the job, how you got, as I'm sure many are, you know, cause it's an interesting thing that, you know, you actually wrote for WWE. Uh, well, I was, in, I, was a, I, I was a writer's assistant, just not that it matters, but I was a writer's assistant in the, the, the raw camp at the time, which was only about, I think, you know, let's see, uh, Dave Kapoor, uh, Brian Gewertz, uh, myself, Ed Kosky, and that was it. So at that time, it was literally just four people on the team, which means, yes, I was not a full-fledged writer at the time, but I was, you know, asked to write 13 segments for Raw, uh, you know, to, to pitch 13 segments. Uh, it's, that's what we did at the time. And so I, I was in there doing much like my jobs out in, 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 in Hollywood, which is uh, you're a writer's assistant, but you're in many ways kind of a apprentice writer but anyway go ahead sorry okay no cool um oh, oh real quick know- real quick mark um i just i want to ask you did you did i ever tell you what rip said when i told him that you got a job there i don't think so i said you know i, t- I told him everything i said he's a writer's assistant he goes oh yeah they usually last about six months <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's right <laughs> well you know that's actually funny because when I, I got to meet most of the top stars, uh, you know, although I think similar to Sergio and I, uh, The Rock and I were also ships passing in the night. Uh, but um, pe- people like Taker showed up. He had an injury at the time, but I got to meet him because we were in a Texas loop with a bunch of shows. And so he was backstage and I got to meet him and I got to meet a very, very friendly, nice guy. And I also felt privileged because as, as, as a fellow Mark, he uh, did not introduce himself as Taker, which I guess he's he's known to do, and introduce himself as Mark. So that's pretty cool, and he was a nice guy. Uh, but same with with Michaels, because he was at Shawn Michaels was at uh, the San Antonio show we were in, just in the audience uh, or in in the bleachers, um, just uh, hanging out um, before the show. And so I think one of the writers introduced me to him, and he just said, uh, "Good luck, kid." <laughs> I was like, like he also <laughs> knew that the, the, these, you know, positions, uh, you know, the writer's assistants didn't stay all that long. But, but he was also cool, though. I have to say. All right, all right, Sergio, it's all you. No more, no more interruptions from me. Oh no, 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 it's all good. Uh, so I guess the the uh, the goal is to go from writer assistant to hopefully being an actual like full time writer. Is that is that pretty much the goal of that position? It is, and I and I worked with uh, a really nice guy who was um, more or less the guy that kind of like taught me the ropes in terms of being the writer's assistant when I got there by the name of John Carl, and he in fact did get bumped up. Uh, I forget how many years it took him. I think it was like a, two years maybe uh, of you know doing the job, and then eventually they promoted him, 
And um, I think you start out there. They have different um, titles for their writers uh, from from the Hollywood um, format. So I think associate writer is the uh, first, you know, the equivalent to a staff writer in, in Hollywood. And so you be, you're an associate writer. Then you move up to um, I forget the other title, and it just kind of keeps going up from there. And then if you know when you're when you're running raw, I think you're like you know a, a creative EP or something like that. Okay. So I know you had spent some time in OVW. So at that time, were you training to be a wrestler, or were you just trying to get into the business any way you could? No, you know uh, I had a, a I, uh, let's see, it probably was in third or fourth grade and I had a project and they said, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I I vividly recall feeling a bit torn. I was like, well, I got to get a good grade on this test or this, this essay, but I also need to be truthful. So I was like, well, I was like, I either want to be a veterinarian or uh, actually, I think I said, I either want to be a zoologist or a professional wrestler. And then I, I, nobody else was like writing, you know, the either or, but I was like, I have to, you know, like this is the this is the the, the clear track, you know, to be a, a scientist, essentially a zoologist, or to be a uh, pro wrestler. So uh, I recall, you know, uh, well, I, I built a wrestling ring in my barn slash garage growing up. Um, it wasn't like backyard wrestling, like smashing light bulbs over people's heads or anything like that. Like we actually did focus on like. <laughs> The production of the show uh, and, you know, setting up the matches and, and all that sort of stuff and writing like a script to it and and having a, a feuds build and things like that. So I uh, I had always wanted to be a professional wrestler. So when the opportunity arose in college, most kids were going off and taking internships that would help their their career, be, be it in politics or media or, or whatever. And I just I don't know, it was like junior year. I had already done a, um, a semester in Washington, D.C., working for Good Morning America, and I was like, I don't want to do that again. I was like, fucking sucked. So I was like, well, OVW is still con- contractually you know, connected to WWE, and I was like, it's only like 500 bucks to start to join the beginner's class. What if I just moved down there for the summer? And so I did, and they accepted me. I mean, at the time, I was like, they accepted me. And I found out later, it was like, <laughs> oh, and because I literally did not know. I walked into that class the first day expecting, you know, athletic people, people with physiques. And then I just saw, like, somebody named Cartman, who was just a fat guy, who was like, you know, somebody named Cornbread. I was like, damn. I was like, this is not what I was expecting. But it was very clear which guys were more performers and which guys were really seeking to do this as a, as a, as a career or something. And, and so I, I knew that that's what I wanted to at least try and see. And then I said, at the very least, it will add to my resume when I apply uh, to, to WWE after college. Okay. Interesting. Uh, um, where, where'd you move from? Where, where were you living before you moved to Louisville? Uh, upstate New York, so went to college in Syracuse, and I was uh, born and raised about an hour north of there in the Watertown, uh, Carthage area. So it's like a little couple towns, um, kind of like about tw- about thirty miles from the Canadian border. Okay. So you're training OVW, uh, the beginner class at that time. Was that who was teaching that? Was that Seth Skyfire? 
It was Seth. No. Uh, but but then like I think about I don't know three or four weeks into it, uh, Mario the mug uh, started taking over, and then occasionally Shad Gaspard would show up and usually injure someone. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. He, he I like I like training. Seth, Seth was a cool guy. Seth was very cool, and uh, he actually is out in L.A. now in, um, like, I think, like, uh, sort of, like, horror horror um, props or makeup or something like that. I forget. Uh, but, yeah, he's, he's, he's out here working now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook, so I, I used to see his stuff once in a while. Yeah. Um, cool. So, so before – so uh, I'm assuming um, – you got the WWE job. Did you have to like pitch a creative idea? I did. Uh, so I um, was pretty diligent my senior year. I was like, I knew I wanted to get into the world of professional wrestling. And there were really only two companies at that point. It was TNA or WWE. So I looked at the different routes to get in. And it was pretty clear that... Uh, to get into the WWE, you needed to go through the HR department. It was like, you know, that's the only way, really. They're, they're a corporate entity. If you know somebody, sure. But the only way that I knew anybody was just that Brian Gewertz was a Syracuse graduate. So I couldn't connect with him, uh, you know, directly. I could just sort of say, hey, I know that that Brian was a Syracuse guy. And, you know, they, they sort of, t- uh, you know, look after their own kind of idea. So I, I got a hold of the HR people and said, you know, I'm graduating in about six months and I uh, want to start the conversation. And they were pretty cool about it. And uh, the, the guy that I connected with on, uh, through the HR department was actually a really nice guy and, and seemed to take to me early on and kept in contact throughout those six months. And then uh, they asked for a writing sample, and, which I just had no clue as to how the, they, they set up their their writing samples was it a word document was it a script form like i just it was a little unnerving because i've never seen a wwe script i mean i took courses on how to write tv scripts and film scripts but this was not like that at all so i uh just figured i'd do it script wise and i wrote uh, a three or four week um storyline involving uh shelton benjamin charlie haas and i believe the hardys and it was kind of um, like a, 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 tr- a classic tag team um, breaking up, backstabbing, uh, that sort of a storyline. And, you know, I'm sure it wasn't great, uh, but I still got the job. And I heard later that Court Bauer uh, was the one reading these submissions and that he gave it like a F or something like that or like a D or something, like not a passing grade. But for whatever reason, I still got the interview that was Dave, Dave Lagan and Brian Gortz. Apparently, Michael Hayes was like hungover or something and couldn't show up, uh, <laughs> which is which is maybe better for me at that point. Um, and then I uh, still got the job. So clearly that was not holding me back. Um, but just as a slight uh, addendum to this, at the same time that I was applying to WWE, I was still thinking, well, TNA is an option. So I contacted them, and they were so cool. They said, come down to Orlando. You can come backstage and meet uh, uh, our producers and Dixie and, you know, see if this is a better fit for you. So I literally was, like, being not courted, but I 
was in contact with both WWE and TNA. And TNA ended up offering me a job, but it was like basically an internship with a weekly stipend. So it was like they're going to give me like six hundred bucks for a, for every per week, and which is actually in retrospect not bad, especially because I would have been living in Orlando. It's not that expensive, and uh, and so I. In, in retrospect, it would have been a cool job because they're smaller. Probably would have like done more and learned more quickly. But how can you turn down a job as a writer's assistant on Monday Night Raw? You know, like yeah, sure. I had to go for that. Now, did uh, now did you at that time like or even now? Do you have some kind of degree in writing? Uh, yeah. So I have a Bachelor of um, Arts. Oh, wait, maybe, actually, it might be a Bachelor of Sciences, which is always weird because you're like, what's the difference? Um, yeah, it's really, yeah. There really is no difference, I think. It's just that I initially went into school to be uh, a lawyer, so I was pre-law, and then I decided that sucks, and I uh, decided just to keep my political science four-year uh, degree, and then I added television and film um, production and writing, and then I added uh, philosophy uh, minor, so kind of like two majors and a minor. And really the one that I focused probably the most on was the television and film because it felt like I like those things and I'd rather work in that than politics. Because once I went to D.C. and I saw the nature of the uh, of that world and, and, and the kind of cutthroat, little did I know uh, Hollywood would be uh, kind of the same. Uh, I think Jon Stewart once said, like, uh, D.C. people have all the power but want the fame of Hollywood. Whereas in Hollywood, they have all the fame, but they want the power of those in D.C. So, yeah. Gotcha. So you chose a WWE over a uh, cutthroat working environment? But, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you know, honestly, at that time, I actually, you know, especially considering my, my, my experiences now in, in television and film, uh, I do think that WWE then was actually somewhat of a cultivating and um, fairly harmonious environment with the three different shows, with ECW, SmackDown, and Raw. So I was actually not only the Raw writer's assistant, but the ECW, because John Carl and I shared the responsibilities for ECW. Because the only writers on that show were Dave Lagana, Jen Bloodsworth, and uh, the American Dream, but the Rhodes. So it was just literally three people on ECW, you know, about three to four people on SmackDown and then the four people on SmackDown or Raw, including me. So fairly small teams at that time. And uh, it was really, it was really a great and fun time. You know, I mean, there's no, really no better job to get out of co- uh, college than working there. Yeah. Now, Mark, um, we uh, recently uh, WWE backstage had on as a guest, uh, Freddie Prince Jr., who oh. obviously was involved in creative for a time. I forget, was was that uh, during your time there? It was immediately afterwards. So basically they were like, well, we just lost our most handsome writer of all time, so we have to get somebody to, to fill his shoes, and so they got Freddie Bridge Jr. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, no, I, I heard that he got hired. I was working at the time... Uh, as a production assistant on the new adventures of old Christine with my uh, one true love, uh, Elaine Bennis, uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus. So I was on that show and I had heard that Freddie Prince Jr. got hired and I was like, what the hell does that even mean? So then um, my good friend Dave Kapoor was like, 
uh, hey, you know, bro, we're, we're in town. He's a dude man, bro guy. So I was like, bro, hey, bro, we're in town. You want to come over uh, and see, you know, come backstage. It'd be cool to see you. We're in Anaheim. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I had to leave work in Burbank um, at the WB Studios, um, which, you know, for people that don't know uh, the Los Angeles area, to get to Anaheim, which is around where, where Disneyland is, you know, without traffic is like, I don't know, an hour, uh, maybe a little more. So with traffic, leaving work on a Monday, I think it took me like two and a half hours, <laughs> something like that. And I Yikes. made it there. Yeah. And I and I went to Will Call to get the ticket to go down and, and you know, see the writers and stuff and, and say hi. Because, you know, I'd probably been at that point about one year since I was at the company. Um, but was still in contact with Dave um, and, uh, and DJ a little bit. So I I, um, I went down there, and uh, it was like <laughs> it was so so surreal to see Freddie Prince Jr. just in the writers' room, like chilling out. I think he was high as fuck uh, because <laughs> he really looked blazed, and he's just sitting on the couch watching like the baseball game. Uh, and I'm not saying he's lazy and didn't do his work. I'm sure he did. But at that time, when I walked in, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> so, you know, actually, what, what I think the big move for him was that he had some uh, one buddy and I think possibly somebody else, but definitely one guy that he worked with and was friends with who he got a job at the company. And that guy, I believe, is still there. Um, so, uh, you know, that was, I think, partly kind of a Trojan horse thing, too, of like, which happens a lot, you know, that's, that's all over the business. Somebody gets in somewhere and is like, okay, let me get all my friends hired and stuff. And it's really actually quite nice to, to, to do that for your, your close friends. Now, Mark, you, sure. uh, for the people that don't know, um, Dave Kapoor is who? The great Kali says, uh, yes, he is, uh, <laughs> he is Ranjan Singh. Okay. Just wanted to clear and, that uh, up. Yeah. And uh, no one's going to ask me this question because they wouldn't think to ask me this question. But yes, yes, guys, the great Kali has ridden in my Mitsubishi Lancer. Uh, he somehow fit in the passenger seat uh, when he and Dave came to visit L.A. once. Um, I think they had to do something. Uh, I'm not sure. I think actually it was not for an, an event. It was like first maybe some sort of PR thing. Uh, through like WWE Hollywood studio or like their offices. And uh, so they showed up and Dave was like, yeah, like, you know, Kali wants to go to like a club and like, you know, I I've been in a relationship for a very long time. I don't go to clubs. So that was very difficult to find somewhere that would please the great <laughs> Kali. Uh, but yeah, he fit in my car. It was like the whole right side of the car was like sinking. Uh, but it was, it was cool. It was a good moment. We finally did go to a club, and I've never been treated like royalty, but literally somebody saw the colleagues, immediately ran to him, gave him like a bunch of free drink tokens, and was like, come, come, come. We have an area for you. And they had this roped-off area, and there was already a group in it, and they just kind of like shooed the people out of the, the <laughs> inside the roped-off area, and then Kali sat down and, you know, presided. And then you guys rebooked the territory and all that. And you learned a lot <laughs> sitting under yeah. his uh, wisdom tree. Yes, yeah. So, so Mark, so basically, so you're the reason why the great Khali was wrestling in the main event with John Cena, 
uh, on pay-per-view one month after you started working there? Yeah, I am actually the reason um, that, uh, um, you know how they say Eric Bischoff created the Elimination Chamber, even though he just did it as a uh, character. Uh, I created the uh, Punjabi prison match. No, uh, none of this stuff. Uh, I think Kali was actually already there. Um, and actually, I think, yeah, um, even even Dave was like in that capacity at the same time as he was a writer because he came in as an associate writer um, and pretty much like rose through the ranks to the top of the food chain. I mean, like he's been there for such a long time and um, really is one of their great success stories um, because he came, you know, from, um, from I think, technical writing and then went, bam, right up, you know, uh, the ladder. But, uh, yeah, he was already managing Kali when I got there in 2007. So it was cool, though, because I was like, oh, this guy's a writer? Awesome. You know, and the next thing you know, we're all getting along. So I actually made really good friends there, which is surprising because I wasn't there that long, you know. But it just it's 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 yeah. not that difficult when you're when one of your main passions in life is something as absurd and stupid as pro wrestling. <laughs> well, that's what we're all so, doing uh, here. Yep. So I, I know I remember you had mentioned that your first day was uh, your first day working there was the uh, the infamous uh, Vince McMahon's limousine exploding, which would have been June uh, 2007, right? That's how right. long how long were you uh, how long were you there for? A uh, little over three months. Okay. Yeah. And I remember that, that limousine. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. that lim- Oh, sorry. That limousine episode. Now that was the uh, the one. That was the time when Paul London made that smirk, right? Was that that? That was that second. Yes. Yes, it was. Did he? Uh, uh, do you remember him having a lot of heat for that? I can't say for certain, but I can say that having worked there, you know, throughout that summer, he sure as hell didn't get a lot of TV time after that. So, uh, but, you know, there were a lot of moments that that had, you know, and and by the way, I just want to say that I was asked to do several podcasts, uh, formerly creative, which was, I think, Dave Lagana's podcast right after I was I left the company Um, and. I think a few others. And I just, at the time it felt like I didn't sign an NDA, but it felt like some, um, I don't know, like it, it wasn't, it wouldn't be right to immediately start talking about my experiences and perhaps even like say something untoward about the company. I just felt like it wasn't the right time. So I never did podcasts or talked about anything until, until now. So, uh, I'm hoping this doesn't affect the potential, um, uh, job WWE be in the future, but uh, yeah, you hear that, Dave Lagana? <laughs> he turned down your podcast. Yeah, oh, well, but I we appreciate lo- you asking my questions, dude. Yeah, but we love you, uh, NWA Power, uh, docking into the fire. It's oh, great. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, my favorite. It's my favorite. Yeah, the Camille um, show. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, yeah, that was uh, an interesting time to to enter the company for sure. Because, um, you know, the, the Vince angle, they had just had the draft. Uh, and, yeah, it was, um, it was strange. But like I was saying, there are times in which events occur that the audience has no clue about. So people may have seen the smirk from Paul London, you know, the, the audience watching at home or whatever. But I don't think it would have registered. They would have cared. It's just very internal and something similar happened with post Benoit 
uh, tragedy in which Batista, this is off the air, I think. Uh, maybe it could have been, no, I think it was off the air. Um, and we're in gorilla position and, and Vince is watching the monitor and Batista goes into the crowd and starts drinking out of fans' cups of beer. And, you know, this <laughs> this happens all the time. Like, I think I actually saw uh, Hangman Page do it um, on, on AEW. But it was a moment where, I don't know, I don't think average people would have considered that to be a big deal. But post-Benoit, like, I think Vince was thinking, we have a duty to make this company seem as professional as possible. And so I just remember him being like, Jesus Christ, like, just kind of grumbling about this guy doing that. And it was like, oh, I see, like, these little tiny things uh, feel much bigger when you're trying to protect this massive, you know, billion dollar company. So I understood it for sure. Hey, Mark, real quick before um, we move on about the Paul London thing. Uh, Sergio, have you ever heard his side of the story? Uh, I'm sure <clears throat> I may have seen because I remember watching a lot of his shoot interviews, and, and I'm yeah. sure I, I'm sure I heard it. I don't quite remember what he said. Well, his first of all, his shoot interviews are fun because he really doesn't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> two, doesn't. two, um, from what what he said was on that day when they were filming that, that was like they 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 did a bunch of takes, like, and everybody was tired of like doing that walk where Vince walks down the hallway. Like everybody was just sick and tired of it. So one of the takes, he just did that goofy smile, and that happened to be, you know, the one that they used, the pre-tape they use. I don't know, uh, Mark, if you can speak to the uh, truthfulness of that uh, statement, but that's his side of the story. Well, I wasn't um, at the arena, so basically that first day on the job. So that was Monday. I got the job, um, moved mm. down there, settled in my apartment um, during over the weekend. Uh, which was a great apartment. I was living with three other people. <laughs> uh, they, oh, wow. Two people from Maine who came down to live in New York City uh, or to, to work in New York City for four days out of the week. And then they would go back to Maine for the weekend to be with their families. Oh, yeah? And so, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, living experience. And then the, the, the owner of the home lived in the basement and he was a traveling musician with uh, the uh, Johnny Winters group so edgar and johnny winters mm -hmm. and uh so that was very interesting uh but uh i was at my apartment you know this is after work i'm watching raw for the first time while being a an employee of the company and i'm like this is exciting i was like yeah this is great and all of a sudden vince walks down the hall and then <laughs> gets into a limo that explodes i was like what what the yeah. Um, and yeah, but now having been backstage and seeing how pre-tapes and seeing how these things all kind of work and being in one myself, uh, although it wasn't a pre-tape, we just did rehearsals and then did it live. Uh, I was, you know, Jamie knows, um, I was classic, classic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, they, I'll put a, I'll put a link to it in the, uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. They had me, I think it was like a nice farewell, um, like, Hey, let's get you on. On, on TV, even though I had done like minor things like, you know, paparazzi for John Morrison or stuff like that. But this time it was like a legitimate like, you know, I'm on TV and they 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 cut when 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 John Cena moves off camera instead of following him. They kept on me, which was like kind of a 
a rare thing. And I think that was just like a nice, like, thanks for your service sort of thing. So, uh, but having done that with numerous rehearsals, I could see that happening with Paul London and all those people that they just did it multiple times and, and it was probably nerve wracking, but you know what, that's being a performer and that happens in Hollywood movies, everything like you have to be professional. And I just think sometimes these guys are like, I'm not saying they're all, they're, they're not all jocks per se, but they're like, you know, it's their lives are very different than the average actor. You know, they're not as disciplined sure. in that way. I think they're disciplined when it comes to like uh, exercising or, you know, whatever it is that they focus on. So for even John Morrison, for example, like that guy, he didn't go to the gym and do average gym things. He went to the gym and did like stretching and, you know, all these, these unique, you know, things. And it was like, you know, that's what he excelled at. And, uh, to, to most people that would seem a, a little bizarre, like, you know, why aren't you benching, bro? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you had to so you moved to New York for the job. I, I don't know why I was thinking Connecticut. It is Connecticut, yeah. But I, with those people that, oh. that, that 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 were the people from Maine, they would live in Connecticut because it's much cheaper. And then they would take Metro North, which is like the main um, train down to the city. So really, Connecticut is a bedroom community of New York City, depending upon where you live. Stanford's not too far, so you can actually live there and work in New York City. So I, yeah, I moved okay. to Stanford. So I was only about. Uh, literally uh, less than a half a mile from the headquarters is where my apartment was. And uh, I mean, it's hard to explain, but you know, it really was a dream come true. It was like I dedicated all of my free time through, you know, elementary, middle, high school, and some of college to watching and obsessing about professional wrestling that I'm, I'm working there and I'm living uh, less than half a mile from the company so it just uh it was it was it was pretty cool and um you know i i it took it's taken me many years to kind of reconcile what i wh why it was difficult to leave and what i what my sort of unconscious feelings were about it and a lot of it had to do with i think benoit and even a few years before the passing of eddie guerrero because you know these are two guys i watched at uh, WrestleMania 20, um, my first WrestleMania in person, um, as a fan, uh, I went to New York city with my brother and, um, we, we saw the event and it was pretty awesome. Uh, and to witness those two guys celebrating at the very end, you know, two guys who in fact now having been at the company and seeing at least Benoit, you know, much shorter than me and made it that far. You know, because I always questioned that growing up. It was like, how can I ever be a pro wrestler? I'm like, I'm only 5'10". Like, you know, is that even feasible? And then, you know, you, yeah. you go work at the company and you go, oh, shit, I'm like on par with a lot of these guys, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially nowadays. Yeah, yeah, Marco Stunt. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that, what, a, what, a, what a WrestleMania to go to. That's, that's one of the... Uh... Of all the manias, that's one of the ones uh, that sticks out in my memories. That the the famous uh, Benoit Guerrero, you know, winning the titles. Yeah, and the confetti, and 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 like, yeah, uh, you know, even you got, because of the the breadth of the of that card, you got to see people I think you normally would never see. Like, got to see Rock and Sock Connection, got to see Flair, 
got to see you know evolution got to see um uh yeah like triple h benoit guerrero and just like it was a pretty stacked card even though you know uh goldberg lesnar and you know i wish i would have gotten to see austin and you know in a match but i did growing up um went to many a show during the austin mcmahon era like i was at the syracuse show where austin came out in the suit with the hat on and uh was the corporate champion if you will because he was doing it the easy way and then he gave uh McMahon the nut shot. <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned Goldberg and uh, Lesnar. I, I didn't know that was that. I, for some reason. I thought Guerrero beat Lesnar to win the title. Who, who did who did Guerrero beat that night? Uh, it it was Kurt Angle. Yeah, that's what it was. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And it was yeah. a triple threat Hard. with with Triple H, Benoit, and help me out here, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels. Yeah, Shawn Michaels. Yeah, Shawn yeah. Michaels. Uh, yeah. See, there you go. I got to see Shawn Michaels yeah. as well. I mean, what a card! <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'd like to ask you, uh, in terms of like the the Raw roster or ECW roster or any, any of the wrestlers in general, uh, you know, like which ones were cool, which ones weren't cool. But I mean, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, saying anything negative, I understand. You know, you don't have to. Really as far as guys, who, well, as far as guys who were not cool, yeah, that's a harder question to ask because. You never know what's going on with people. You don't know if they're dealing with issues or whatever. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I my first night at the company on the road was the following week after the limo explosion. And I just was like, it was an insane first day on the job. You're being shown around backstage at a show that you've been to many a time. And now you're, you're in the back and you're meeting everybody and, um, and they're all just going through their emotions because they've done this a thousand times. But it was the first night that Chuck Palumbo was back on the roster, and I was also okay. new. And so I'm going around shaking everybody's hands, and I think I accidentally shook his hand twice. And he's like, "Dude, I already met you." I was like, "Oh, this is kind of like <laughs> you're." I'm like, "You're doing the same thing right now." Like, you know, um, I don't know why he had an attitude like that. It was just a weird moment of like, we all do that. Everybody backstage you're constantly shaking hands like it's bound to happen that you you accidentally double up you know but um he didn't last long obviously but uh yeah i I would say like mostly i would rather focus on the people that were really cool because they didn't need to be you know like it's like high school or middle school when you come into the cafeteria and you're like "Uh uh-oh where do i sit you know i don't have any friends and you feel a little lost uh but fortunately i had really nice and friendly people that said you know, like Booker T and Charmel would always say, oh, come, come have lunch with us. Like they were really, really nice um, and didn't need to be. Uh, and then it was actually really cool because then at the very end of my tenure there, um, I got to work exclusively on the Triple H uh, King Booker uh, match uh, for SummerSlam. So that was really cool because oh, okay. they kind of stuck me on that as like my main um job for, for a few weeks so uh anyway um yeah they were really cool i got along with the ecw crew uh, like the the originals uh so taz and joey styles and, and uh sandman like i was on a plane with sandman for three hours and we talked about like tons of stuff and it was you know really awesome to to be connected in that way you know and, and drunk yeah, um, was he drunk he was drunk yeah 
probably a little. I mean, it's just. A, <laughs> I mean, they serve know. alcohol on planes. It's no they do. They do. Um, so yeah, Taz um, immediately right off the bat. Uh, I think was one of the first nights on the road. He like walked in the writers' room, and <laughs> which probably didn't ingratiate me well with the rest of the writers. But he's like. So, he said about me, he's like, look at this guy. This guy's got a hell of a physique. I'm like, you fat schmoes. You know, it was like, <laughs> maybe don't say that around the other guys, you know. But, uh, but yeah, he was cool. Um, Joey Styles was. And I just come into the, to the cafeteria or to the catering. And they, you know, uh, were really cool about like, oh, yeah, you can sit with us. And, you know, it was always and Mark Henry, was similar that way. He, he once saw me kind of like. Um, walking around backstage doing some work, and he was like, hey, hey. And I was like, what? And he goes, you okay? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you got a frown on your, you know, you got a frown on your face, or like you're, and I was like, no, no, I'm good. I was like, I was just thinking. He goes, yeah, that's, I got that too. Like, basically being like, people mistook me for being angry or whatever, but really I'm just thinking, or you know, and I was like, oh, man, that's that's really nice because, you know, you hear the stories of like, hazing and stuff and sure i was hazed by jbl but in retrospect as i look back to it i'm like it wasn't really full of malice i mean he did occasionally ask me like how are things in the gay community and stuff like that but uh but you know i think that's i think that's for everybody well they him and him and briscoe like one of my first days on the road put me in a position in which i could not answer correctly and i just didn't know that that's how they operated there so they said something like Oh, we got a hypothetical question to ask you. If you could, uh, you know, you're going to have a meeting with Vince McMahon, um, and but there's this girl you met, and uh, you know you, you want to hang out with her, and if you do, you're going to be late to the meeting with Vince. So what do you do? Do you do you get to the meeting with Vince on time, or do you go, you know, meet up with this girl? And I was just like, well, you know, I'm trying to answer this like correctly. I'm like going through my head with like all the permutations of what's what's you know appropriate and i was like well I, was like, I just got out of college and you know i think i sowed my wild oats enough i'm like i'm trying to focus on the career stuff so i think i would just you know get to the arena and, or you know get to the, the meeting events that's more important and then they're just like without being like yes that's right or wrong they would like continue to grill me and i'm just like well i'm like you know i think i said something like i'm not saying i'm, I'm gay or anything and they're like Oh my! Oh, yeah, why'd you have to go there? They're like, you know, that Pat Patterson is a known. They're like, we're gonna go tell him, and I was like, oh my god! <laughs> so from then on, JBL would just be like, how are things in the gay community? You know, but I, as I look back to it, I'm like, it's all pretty harmless stuff. And he, you know, uh, he once paid a limo driver like 300 bucks to drive around um, because it's in his mind. I'd only been at the company two weeks. Why am I driving in, or why am I riding in a limo? I agree. I didn't think that was appropriate, but Dusty Rhodes didn't need his limo, and he gave it to me and the other writer's assistant to get back to the hotel. So JBL knocks on the window and goes, how long have you been in this company? I was like, uh, like two weeks. He's like, you're already in a limo? And then he goes up to the limo driver, and he just says something to him, and I'm like, I don't know. I didn't really pay attention. Three hours later, we finally get to our hotel. So he clearly paid the limo driver to just drive around. <laughs> and I never sold it. I just dealt with it because I thought I don't got to say shit. And like I didn't say shit. I never sold you know hazing stuff or you know uh that kind of stuff. Like one time I got footed with a bill in New Orleans. All the wrestlers, Cena, everybody was there and I got footed with a bill. It was about 1400. 
for all the drinks. And I paid it. And I never said shit. And they were like, I think that, that put me over well because it was like, oh, he gets it. You know, like, yes, he had to pay that bill, but somebody else will in the future. Like, you pay it forward, and you know. So that's just the nature of that business and pretty much all business, really. Interesting. Oh, man. I'm trying to think of got some more. You got, you got any questions, Jamie? Uh, you remember, I've known this guy since uh, he <laughs> showed up at OBW <laughs> in 2006. So we've talked about pretty much, I've, I've heard a lot of these stories before. Uh, I never get tired of them. Um, but uh, Jamie, Jamie, tell the story of how we first met and what a dumbass I was at OVW uh, after the show. Well, the first show. So I don't remember how we met actually. Like that, that that's pretty much the first time we really talked. Like we might have but, met in yeah. the beginner's class, but so, that's the first time you you really Okay. Uh, so at this point, at this point when you show up, you're showing up on a summer break. So that's like what? Uh, uh May, May late, June? late late May. May. Right. So at this point, now, now what what year is this? Is this 06? Yeah, 06. Yep. So okay. So this is my second. This is like my second tour uh, of OVW because I showed up in 2005. I had the same idea that Mark had. Essentially, I thought it was a three month course. I said I'll try the three months, um, see how it works, whatever. I get there, I find out it's basically indefinite. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I go back home as planned. You know blah 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 long story short i come back in 06 around february so um so i've already been there now i'm on my uh so i'm on my second tour i'm already in rips class the intermediate class but i'm still going to the beginners class because um you know i was just i hey i i didn't move all the way across the country to just you know not be at wrestling practice so i you know, just like you, Sergio, I did both as much as I could, just as many reps, as much ring time as I could. And uh, now, Mark, do you remember it was my was 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 my arm broken at that time or no? I actually think that when I first arrived, I do not think your arm was broken. I think it happened really early when I was there, I think. OK, well, any case, so, I, never, I never knew you had a broken arm. Oh yeah, dude! I caught um, I caught Lennox Lightfoot on a crossbody, and he landed on my wrist, and uh, and uh, yeah, it snapped my radius in half. Yeah, you had actually. Oh, I'd never shit. seen anybody with a bar stuck in their arm until I uh, saw yours, and yeah. then and then at WWE when I met Undertaker, he had the same thing. And I was like, "Hey, you got what the vet had?" And he was like, "Who the fuck's the vet?" Yeah, I didn't say that. And, and, he, <laughs> and, and yeah, and you were like, "Well, you'll see." You'll see at WrestleMania 23. Um, so, yeah. What do you what do you what do you think the odds are? We probably fist bumped each other with our same broken arms, right? Very likely. Uh, yeah. So, um, anyway, so that's beside the point. But the point is, um, so I was doing double duty. So that's how I would have seen Mark. And uh, you know, we go to the Wednesday night tapings, and this is when Paul Heyman was running the thing, right? It was actually his last or second to last time because they were going to bring in greg Gagne and Heyman was going to go to ecw brand right right so so what they would do is you know um sergio now you remember 
after the after the TV tapings, they would usually everybody would sort of gather in the bleachers and they would have like a meeting, right? Yeah. So who was running that when you were there, like Al Snow or something? Uh, me when I was there. Yeah. Uh, I don't Cause he, think because you ever missed heard. Heyman completely, right? I did. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't remember, dude. With Danny Davis. Yeah. Well, anyway, it, it was it wasn't it wasn't very much. Like it was just like a few minutes, and then everybody left. Uh, Paul Heyman would be there for like an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, it's like people would ask him questions. He would ask questions. And uh, so at some point, you know, he asks, uh, you know, does anybody else have any? Well, Mark, you tell you, you probably remember this more vividly than I do. I sure actually. do. So, <laughs> so, so it becomes all, your story any, anyway. Yeah. So we're all sitting, you know, in the, you know, the, the, the bleachers, essentially, um, this tiny arena, the OVW arena. And, uh, you know, Heyman's like giving his spiel and he's so passionate and so intense that you're like, you just you just naturally get into it. You're like, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's break it down. Let's figure out how to you know do the best show we can. Like to me, my, it was like my favorite. My favorite of Paul Heyman's is like he <laughs> started out by saying, "I loved it," and let me tell you why. <laughs> well, it was like a glimpse into like the the old ECW of like this is what he did. Like this is the rallying of the troops, and like he just he did excel in that so well, and so it it, it captivated me. And so when he asked like you know does anyone have any like comments they want to you know say about the show, I was just like I'm brand new, and I'm like I got something to say. So I raised my hand. <laughs> totally ready to just be like i thought it was really great you know uh i don't know what i was gonna say probably very little criticism and then jamie just like looks over at me and he's like get get your hand down man get. <laughs> he's like don't do that he's like that'll be the end of you you'll bury yourself and i was like oh okay i put my hand down and then uh then a friendship was born because uh he saved my ass probably because i probably after that Everybody would have been like, "Who the fuck yeah. are you? You've only what? been here a week." You know, it's one of those. It's yeah, one of those things. Say, if it was yeah. like, if it was like in a comedy movie, like everyone would turn their heads at the same time, and you would hear the audible whoosh, like as the heads all turn. <laughs> yeah, but low and right, behold, they, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was gonna say, as they say in the business, uh, what do they say, Jamie? Uh, getting too comfortable or something? Oh yeah, that's uh, too comfortable. Yeah, right. But but, but lo and behold, a, a year later, I'm in the capacity at WWE that's really on par with like development guys who've been brought up. Like a writer's assistant is really on the same level as a development guy or even like a lower tiered guy on the card. Like you can just tell based on how you are um your your banter and how you connect with people. So I I vividly recall guys like Damian Sandow and people like they they look at you like, well, I know you're a writer's assistant, but like you could potentially hold my future. And and, and in a way we did because yeah. like I often booked uh heat. Like for whatever reason, like they'd say, you know, writer's assistant, you guys can kind of put together a card you you, you think is good for heat. And so I you know, it's really weird to be given that opportunity where you're like you know what? I think we need Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So Hacksaw Jim Duggan, you know, arrives at the arena in some weird way because you put his name on a piece of paper. It's just, it was, it was crazy. And, um, 
and yeah, so I think that that's why, like, you take a year later, and and these guys who you know before were would look down on some some new schmo in the arena, uh, the OVW arena, a, a year later would be like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> you're at this company with like a modicum of power, and it's just you know, it's crazy. Yeah, uh, now as a now as a performer. Um, you know, Mark obviously only had a very limited, uh, repetitions and everything like that, but he was a natural. Um, he, you know, he, the only thing, the only criticism I would have is that in the ring, I can see his wheels turning because he's just trying to, you know, do what he knows he's supposed to do. So he doesn't have all the extracurricular body language, facials and all the other stuff, but like everything he did mechanically was perfect. Um, for somebody that had never done it, he hit the ropes. Great. He took a great clean hip toss. Um, you know, everything he did look crisp and realistic. Um, it was, it was like he, I've, I've seen guys that claim that they've been on the Indies for 15 years that don't look as good as he looked on his first day. So, um, you know, he had as much of a future and he's, you know, he's a, he's a decent sized guy. So, you know, and he's good looking. So, you know, he could have took it as far as he really wanted. The only, the only issue would have been at that time. That's, you know, like we always talk about surge, like that's the era where they were looking for a bunch of jacked up giant guys, you know, and it it would take a little while after the Benoit thing before they really started to go away from that. Um, so that really would have been, but he could have took it as far as he wanted. If he was one of those guys that just never gave up. And, you know, I mean, if, if, uh, you know, beefy could have got a job you know as uh you know whatever what was his fucking name the general manager for raw um yeah uh, brad maddox brad maddox oh, right yeah. if, if somebody like that could have made it you know mark easily could have made it i mean no problem well i appreciate that that's uh i remember actually one day seth skyfire gave this speech that was like you know the way this business works is you know, uh, everybody wants uh, their their spot and their place in the industry. Uh, you know, on the roster, and uh, you know, if if for somebody above you, they're looking down, going, "That guy is going to take my spot." You know, this idea that like there's only like a place for you in this niche. You know, you're the uh, the long haired, you know, um, jacked. Uh, you know, I see mid card guy. You're the this that. You know, and so I remember he once like pointed at me and was like, you know, so if Shawn Michaels is getting out of the business and this guy wants to come in and take his spot. And I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, I'm not Shawn Michaels level. Uh, but yeah, I, I loved it. And it was such a, like, it was so fun to do something that did feel kind of like not instinct, but, but, but closer to second nature, you know? And, and like, I remember very early on, it was like, actually Mario had said, you, you know, don't stop thinking about it and just go back and doing what you used to do in your backyard wrestling. Yes. I know you stupid motherfuckers did backyard wrestling. Like it was like one of those sentiments. And I remember I was like, yeah, it's true because when I don't think about it and I throw a punch or I throw, you know, or, or I go to do a kick, it's like, I'm doing kind of like a rock kick and I'm throwing a razor Ramon punch. Like it just, it's, it's what you, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's like, it's as basic as like uh, primate, um, learned behavior, you've watched it so much that you internalized, you know, the body movements. And, uh, and, and to, to your point, Jamie, I'm sure it would, I mean, we had that match. I, I know you weren't in it, but it was like me and somebody versus Serena and her partner. 
and uh, in rips class because I did jump up and take rips class for about three weeks towards the end um, of that summer. And it was awesome because it was way more of an intense class in which you were doing not just drills, but like, you know, segments of a match or, you know, real like, uh, you know, and then, of course, the the uh, the promos, which were really, really um, illuminating as far as what someone was capable of, you know, and uh, I always tell that story because it's such a like I never really I never had that level of confidence, you know, but then when I did my promo um, with, with the, the beginners class and, uh, and I just didn't know exactly what I was doing and I'd never done improv. So it was like, all right, here we go. And I cut a, a blistering promo, um, against, uh, Vito because that was about the time he started wearing a dress. And so my whole perspective was like, as Frankie, forget about it. I got a beef. Oh, I'm sorry. I got, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, a, a serious, uh, you know, issue with um with veto you know and i kind of like ran him down as a guy who used to be a cool dude from the block but now he's disgracing our great people and you know and it was like i don't know it doesn't make any sense really but at the time it was like you know it was received well enough where i was like oh okay you know this is cool i could i could really like see myself doing this but you know i had to go back to college which which is a weirdly um uh, tough decision to make i was kind of like do i just quit college and stay here (laughs) (laughs) yeah some people did brother some Uh people did some people are still there sergio how's the weather out there (laughs) i know yeah it's okay right now oh okay all right so oh so you left ovw went back to college yep yep okay finished college and then got the wwe job okay right yes so it was pretty much like you know to the day like uh late spring early summer of 2006 the ovw finished out at the end of that summer uh and it was actually a great experience just in general to pick up all my stuff move live in an extended stay america uh, meet some chick at captain's quarters which is where i worked i got a job as a waiter and also like tying up the, the million dollar yachts that would pull up on the uh, Ohio River. Um, I, I lied, of course. Like, do you have any experience with yachts? Absolutely. Uh, you know how to tie you know how to tie them up? Sure. It's a figure eight. I don't know what that means. I looked it up before. Uh, so, so I met some girl there, a waitress who was just starting out, and we hit it off. And then she's like, you could move into my apartment, you know, because we were already shacking up and stuff and i was like all right and so i did and then like pretty soon later the uh the sex stopped and then i see her rent uh paper like the thing on the door left by the landlord and i was like 450 dollars i'm paying this girl 400 bucks <laughs> so uh. yeah so i was paying her rent but it, but it was still half the price of the extended stay america so i was like you know, see, see, with the extent of stay America, you fucked up, right? What you wanted was the in-town suites on Preston Highway because it was right <laughs> up the street from OVW and the rates were way better. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I just once I saw Heidenreich, I was like, this is where the big boys play. So <laughs> oh, were, you in, the same, were yeah. you in the same extended stay as he was? Yeah, I was. And so I, remember oh, the I, first I, know, day, exactly, I know exactly where that is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first day I was like. 
oh shit, Heidenreich's here, and he's like doing his laundry and talking to himself, and I'm like, uh oh, that's a bad <laughs> sign. Did you did you like uh, introduce yourself to him, or did you or anything at all? I never did, and, and it was probably better off because I don't think he ever showed up to OVW during that entire time. So he was clearly like in some sort of transition from you know out of WWF or WWE and not at OVW. So it was a weird weird time. Um, but yeah, I really actually enjoyed OB, or, uh, rather Louisville in general because I thought it was going to be like, I thought I was going to roll in and it was going to be like, you know, it's like real country. And then I was like, wait, actually, it's kind of a decent, fairly um, normal city. You know, I'm sure the outskirts get a little weird, but like, I, you know, it had the strip malls, it had the Gold's Gym, it had um, Smoky Bones. And, you know, that was the other place I applied to, but I. I decided Captain's Quarters would be better for my wallet, which it was. Yeah, yeah Kentucky. Be- because you came because you came from Captain's Quarters and you came from work with that frilly pirate shirt and uh, looking the way you look. That's <laughs> oh, why. Yeah. That's why Rip called you Dracula. Oh yeah. You came in. Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Go ahead, Sergio. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say, uh, yeah, Kentucky does have a lot of stereotypes, which are accurate. But I will say Louisville, the city alone, is uh, much doesn't really follow the stereotypes. It's, it's an actual like pretty diverse city, you know. It is, and they have a college. Yeah. I also felt like, uh, you know, just in general, they had sushi. I was like, well, they got sushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sergio, is that it? Is that all the questions you have for our illustrious guest? <laughs> Actually, no. So I had notes, but I. I think my son threw the paper away, but I, but I actually I, I had another question as well. So uh, working amongst the writers, um, would you ever see anybody were, were the writers the ones like who would watch developmental and say, hey, I can use this guy and put him in this storyline? Like who who was was that was that the writer's job or somebody else? You know that always actually intrigued me because I never saw it during my time there. I, I think that there were the occasional um, trips that would happen um, in which people would go down to Florida. Uh, Cause I think actually when I got there, they started to really use the Florida, the deep South one or whatever more frequently. I, mean, I guess not Florida. It was like Atlanta or somewhere. Um, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. Georgia. So it was weird. Like I, I kept seeing the, um, these documents come in like with the headshots and stuff. And I was like, okay, so somebody's fielding these. I think it was also a possibility that court who was fired pretty much like a week after I got uh, to the company. Um, I think he maybe was fielding those at some point. And like I said, I think that they were doing occasional field trips. They just, I don't believe they happened when I was there. I think that they were pretty steeped in um, kind of the summer program uh, that they were working on. Uh, but I, I think it's a combination of, like, probably Bruce Pritchard at the time, who was only on the road. He never came to the offices, but he would show up at pay-per-views and things like that. And I think that he kind of had maybe a hand in that. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't a ton of, like, at that time, uh, looking at developmental and trying to figure out how to utilize these guys um, But I think that became, and I think it was because maybe they were in the transition from moving uh, out of the OVW um, world and a little bit more into the Deep South and then eventually creating 
the whole uh, Florida uh, system. So, uh, yeah, it was it was confusing a, a bit, um, but because uh, I actually was really intrigued by that, you know, from my uh, experience, not just at OVW, but just as a backyard wrestler and like coming up with a million characters that I had in my notebook. I was like, I like that. I like character development. I like the idea of working with somebody and developing, you know, someone, uh, a character that is a, an extension of their personality and that they're comfortable with. Like that was an area that I was actually more interested in some ways than just regular TV booking. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, man, I think I'm almost at a loss of uh, questions here. So I guess I must have just missed you at OVW because I had moved there in August of 06, but I didn't start training until a few months later. So we, we must have just missed each other. Yeah, well, when I saw a picture of you through Jamie's stuff or something somewhere, I was like, you look familiar. So I was like, it's very possible that we actually maybe met I just, uh, I didn't recall. Um, were you ever put on like the old OVW roster page ever? Uh, on their website? Maybe after WWE left, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, because I, I remember when I was yeah. at WWE, I was like, I still was doing my best to be like, well, I know that they don't really use OVW as much, but I kind of have an allegiance to this group or this this you know area so i would occasionally check out that roster page and be like oh, i wonder if anybody you know i could try to like talk up or pass off or you know whatever um to to the to the higher ups so um yeah i might have looked on that page if you were on there and, and, and logged that in my head yeah 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 also because jamie and i used to talk about certain guys that were in our beginners class and uh, who got contracts like after I was there at the company and being like, what the hell? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, if, uh... if, you, if, you, if you think about all the guys that we trained with, really only a few ended up getting hired. And so, you know, statistically it's very, at that time anyways, it's a very uh, small percentage of people who actually end up getting hired. Yeah, especially because like some clearly were were kind of like they got developmental deals, you know, your Seth Skyfires and people, but they just never yeah. made it all the way, which is cool for them that they probably got a pretty good payday. But yeah, they just it didn't translate to the top. Yeah. Did you ever uh, have any 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 direct dealings with uh, Vince McMahon? Oh, all the time. Um, I you know pretty much. Uh, every week uh, when we would get back to the offices on Wednesday, uh, we would work on the script for Raw and then usually take it to Vince uh, Friday afternoon, uh, right around the time that he had his uh, patented steak uh, wrap or steak with French fries with ketchup. Um, and uh, he, yeah, we would we would present the script and go over it and talk about it. And it was just, you know, kind of a surreal experience to be in this guy's office. It was just like, what the hell? <laughs> How am I here right now? Um, but yeah, we, we, I always felt, I always got along with him and I felt like he appreciated me because I think partially whenever he'd come into the WWE headquarters gym uh, in, in, in the building uh, after, after work, I would be the 
um, only guy, only, only like literally only guy, like not just for the writing team, but the whole company. So it would be me lifting, which I actually had to ask Stephanie if I could get gym privileges because writer's assistants that are new don't, it's like you're on probationary period for the first couple months. And I just was like, look, I know you'll understand this, but working out is important to me <laughs> like, because I was like on the road e eating like burgers and like fast food all the time. And I was just like, oh, no, I can't I can't get a gut. And so she's like, I totally understand. And so she granted me privileges. And so I'm always in there after work. And then Vince was would show up with his trainer. And I think he maybe respected that of like this guy, uh, you know, he cares about his physique, you know. So, but one day, actually, um, one of the weirder, look at him, <laughs> one of the weirder altered, well, I, I've also been accused of having, uh, fairly beady eyes. And I'm like, maybe he just also took to the fact that we, you know, have certain, uh, similarities, but, uh, he, um, came in one day and I was doing, I used to like, when I looked, worked out in college, I was big on like, uh, the extra weight. Like, so if you did like lat pull-ups, I would attach the weight belt. Um, and then, cause I used to be, you know, fairly, uh, I would say my body fat was much lower than it is now, much, much lower. Um, but I would then add the weight to it cause I needed more weight to do lap pull-ups to get anything out of it. And so he like walks into the, to, um, the, the gym there in Stanford and he was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, it's like lap pull-ups with extra weights because, uh, I was like, oh, well, just shut up. But, uh, but yeah, we had a good, um, pretty good rapport. Um, probably the funniest moment was when, uh, we were in Vegas and we all, all the writers went out to, um, uh, Spearmint Rhino, um, the, uh, or was it Sapphires? No, Sapphires. So I think it was the one that, um, Disco is involved with. And okay. he was, of course, was not around then, but, uh, I just 702-303-3430. There you go. I found I found that out <laughs> later. But uh, yeah, so we, all the writers and some other people went there, and um, you know, it was like my first time. Uh, my brother used to manage a gentleman's club in Syracuse, so it wasn't my first time at a strip club. But it was my first time at a strip club with my coworkers. I don't think I'd ever done something like that. But I was, you know, young, single, uh, had a little bit more coin in my pocket than I normally ever had so i was like you know spending too much money uh mucho dinero so i i uh gosh i don't think i got back to my hotel until about five in the morning um and then i had to board the, the, the private jet with vince and uh dj uh, krista joseph and um he turns to mcmahon and says well malaria over here just bought a strip club and I said uh, to Vince, well, that's not entirely true. I was swindled. And then he starts laughing. Oh, ha, ha. I was like, I just popped Vince, you know, uh, with this story, this ridiculous story of, of actually, I did feel like I was swindled because they got these two girls offered me um, like two girls in the back room. And I was like, great, you know, thinking it's like two for one. It wasn't two for one. It was just pay for two. So my bad. Yeah, it's, it's easy to spend a lot of money down there, that's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, it's better to not be single, I think, in these situations. So would you always travel on the on the, on the the plane with Vince, or would you ever have to travel like on a regular plane? 
Uh, it kind of depended on how many people were going to fit in the plane. So sometimes like JBL or uh, Taz or, you know, Kerr and Silpies or whoever had to be riding in the jet. So um, they would bump the writer's assistants or even some of the writers sometimes off of it. And we'd take commercial flights. So it was, it just depended. It was never uh, consistent. But I'd say I, for my all my time there, I probably rode on the private jet like 10 times. Something like that, um, maybe more. And then I also would often ride on the Wednesday jet with Stephanie. So Stephanie had her own jet usually on Wednesdays because she would either have her kid with her at the time. Um, and so I would um, stay over after uh, SmackDown on Tuesday nights, which was always interesting because then you'd go out with like uh, Michael Cole and people because they used to call it Tuesday Night Titans in which they would go bar hopping on Tuesday because they were also staying over. Whereas many of the people went back to Stanford on the private jet Tuesday night, like with Vince. Um, but we who stayed then would have like an extra night to, to hang and stuff. And then on Wednesday I'd fly back with Stephanie on the private jet. Hey, so um, tri- triple H was pretty firmly in the talent side of things at that time still. Um, but did you, were you around or did you, uh, see any instances of like you know people making him do stuff you know that may have been you know a uh, precursor to what he's kind of involved with today uh he was actually um starting to get involved with the creative and and booking and things i think more regularly at that point because partially because he was out with an injury until he uh returned at that uh, SummerSlam against king Booker. uh he would show up occasionally to our production meetings um, when we were at uh, the arenas uh, on Mondays and Tuesdays. And um, it was actually really cool because he would offer his opinions. Uh, he was also quite the jokester. Um, so a lot of, you know, f- funny moments. Um, I didn't have a ton of interaction with him during that time because he was sort of like, I think his daughter was kind of newborn or at least par- fairly young. So I think he was also like, with Stephanie, because Stephanie was very, very active at that point, like doing backstage pre-tapes and things. So weirdly enough, like I think Triple H, when he was at the arenas, would often be like, you know, watching his kid and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I didn't see much of him really getting too involved with, um, you know, like kind of in the uh, talent development and all that um, at that time. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think he was rehabbing too, and he was trying to get into. Uh, working shape again yeah so is that about gonna wrap it up Serge or you got anything left in the tank man I think that that might be it I I do appreciate uh you answering all my questions of course yeah man it's uh it's a it's a walk down memory lane for me so uh you know and and like I said I didn't I didn't do a lot of podcasts after my time there and so it's kind of it's fun to to talk about the stuff and you know it's 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 quite phenomenal how far that the creative team and that whole thing has become now you know with a road team and a and a uh you know uh the home team and you know i guess to some extent i was lucky because i got to do both when i was there and uh i only was really i never was um disciplined or, or chastised uh i mean occasionally like michael hayes would be like i hate you uh, but I think that was all in love. Um, but uh, there was, I mean, that was a great story. Like basically I got a text one night at the hotel and it was like, John Cena requests your presence at the bar. And I was like, Oh, but I know what that means. That, that means like 
they're going to grill you, that you're going to drink with them, and they're going to see if you are a, a dumbass or, you know, have stupid politics or something like that. And so um, I went down there ready. Uh, and fortunately, some other new guy in like the marketing or some other department was there too. And they just decided to, to hammer him because he wouldn't shut his mouth. Uh, and so luckily I got off the hook, but then Michael Hayes kept looking over and being like, he like turned to DJ and was like, why the hell is he here? And I'm like, I can hear you, uh, <laughs> to do about me. <laughs> and then I was about to just like, ah, oh, well I can just leave. And then D- DJ is like, no, 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 stay or whatever. And then, um, uh, Ron Simmons turned to me and was like, uh, he's like, no, no, he's like, you're good, man. Just stay. It's, it's fine. You know, uh, Michael's just messing around. You know, he's like that. I was like, okay. I was like, he doesn't want me. Like, Michael pretty much was explicit, like, get the fuck out of here. You know, like, he was drunk or he didn't want me around or whatever. Um, and, I mean, mind you, my first night on the road, I uh, brought Michael Jaeger shots, uh, a bunch of Coronas and beers and stuff uh, to his room, like, first night on the road. Uh, and, like, I carried the tray while he walked with me, and we went to his room and then we opened the door and there was someone else sleeping in his bed. And it's because there was another Michael Hayes who worked for the TV truck <laughs> side, the production truck. And he's like, what the fuck? That was fucked in my bed. And it was so funny. <laughs> I was laughing my ass off. And so then I went into his room. We finally found his room. And uh, that night, it was the first night on the road. And, you know, Michael is literally like giving me working punches in the hotel room with DJ and we're like, and I'm like, do I sell this right now? Like, I have to sell this, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was a, a surreal experience. So, like, I don't think Michael ever legitimately hated me. I just think that's that's how he is. And so Ron Sim was like, no, 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 stay, stay, you know, when I was at the bar that night. And I stayed. And then, like, probably 45 minutes later, Michael looks over and goes, I thought I told you to get the fuck out of here. And then Ron, <laughs> and then Ron Sim just starts laughing. And I was like, oh, great. I've been Did happy. you ever... Did you ever block one of Michael Hayes' punches and give him a punch of your own? <laughs> I did not. I, I never. I never went there. Um, yeah, you can never tell the, the moods of people um, in those positions. Uh, you know, you just never wanted to, to to ruffle feathers. But yeah, I was. I was never chastised. I think once um, I was laughing perhaps too hard at Dusty Rhodes because um, one time in the ECW production meeting. Dusty read the script. Uh, normally, Dave Logano would read the script, and I mean, I was not the only person in that room dying laughing. It was very, very funny, and everyone was having a good time. But for some reason, I was new, and I'm sure certain old timers looked over and was like, "That young kid's laughing too much. He's laughing at Dusty." It's like I'm not laughing at Dusty. Uh, this is—he's a born entertainer, <laughs> and I think it's funny. I mean, who wouldn't laugh at Dusty Rhodes reading? Uh, you know, um, like verbatim off the script, like, and then uh, we got extreme expose in the background, and me has come thauntering up, and he's like, hey, Kelly, Kelly, what's up with you? And then Kelly, Kelly, she'd be like, oh, Miz, don't even start with me, you know, like, it was, it was so funny, and That's so I was, yeah, so I was banned for a couple of weeks from the production meetings, which I was kind of like, well, it's not the worst thing. I just 
don't have to do work for like an hour and a half. Right. Yeah. And if you and if you would if if you weren't laughing at Dusty Rhodes, then you would have been laughing just trying to get yourself over with Dusty Rhodes. Like there's nothing yeah. you can do that's correct sometimes. But yeah. there there is one thing that you did correct, which is uh, you know, I think we can all agree that uh, no matter who's telling you to get out of the bar, you do what Ron Simmons says. Yes, exactly. And he was a real cool dude too. So I have to give props to all these people that that didn't have to be you know, so friendly and nice. Teddy Long as well, very nice guy. Um, but uh, but yeah, guys, I I, I uh, thank you for again for having me on the podcast. Oh, the the pleasure's yeah, all geez. ours. And uh, this isn't goodbye. This is just see you later. Uh, Mark will be back. Um, we can't just give you Mark all the time. You know, he's a special attraction. Um, so. <laughs> You know, he's kind uh, of like he's like the Brock Lesnar of podcasting. You know? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, he doesn't do podcasts, but when he does, he does the best podcast. So thank You're you very right. much. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, and uh, thanks, Sergio. Um, and uh, I'll just thank myself too while I'm at it uh, for putting this whole thing together. And um, so this has been the bonus episode of Three In, and we're out.